The Democrats have abandoned an America in crisis. They can't govern a country they despise. Quote, When you're at the end of your rope, tie a knot and hold on. End quote. Theodore Roosevelt. Joe Biden and the Democrats could learn something from what just happened on Twitter, where a populist revolt is currently underway. The blue check scam was powerful. A minority of elites who granted themselves outsized influence on the media narrative, the Democratic Party, and reality itself. Elon Musk played a game of cat and mouse with the blue checks first by taking them away, then giving them back after they launched a dumb hashtag campaign because the unwashed masses could now have access to status on Twitter. It was obscene, but telling. The upper decks of the Titanic have never looked more out of touch with the majority of Americans who have bigger problems than whether to drop the price of a Starbucks latte for a blue check on Twitter. The bigger picture, of course, is that their ship has hit the iceberg already and the clock is ticking down on their power. For podcast listeners, a tweet from former blue check Seth Abramson, quote, Musk is illegally using the name slash likeness of a Nobel Prize winner to sell a product. He put a false representation on a site he controls that says the Nobel laureate purchased and approves of a product he didn't and doesn't. When confronted with his tortious conduct, he did this. And then a tweet by Paul Krugman that says, So my blue check has reappeared. I had nothing to do with that. And I'm definitely not paying. And then Elon Musk responds with a picture of a crying toddler and a plate of spaghetti. Meanwhile, leave it to the offspring of John Lennon and Yoko Ono to offer a rare bit of critical thinking, says Sean Ono Lennon. Something really hilarious is happening, where, like, some people actually feel so triggered by the blue check situation. It's becoming this year's wear a mask. Like, it's actually becoming political. We live in the dumbest of times. Does this remind y'all of anything? Now the star belly sneeches had bellies with stars, the plain belly sneeches had none upon theirs. Brett Weinstein also understood the bigger picture, quote, Let's face it, Block the Blue is a rebellion against an honest business model for Twitter in favor of an opaque one that delivered us not only to advertisers, but to a powerful corporate government hybrid that censored and manipulated us into massive self-harm. I had a blue check from 2017. I bought Twitter Blue months ago for the edit button and to support creation of a public square. The rebellion against an $8 a month fee is a strategy to uninvent the public square by luring one ideology to opt out. Don't fall for it. Hashtag zero is a special number. What's happening on Twitter is a microcosm of what is about to happen to this country at the hands of the Democrats and their unholy alliance with the cultural and corporate elite, as well as the administrative state. We've come out of 2020 not for the better. This is a country in crisis, and they can't keep ignoring it. There is a crisis among the young, a crisis of crime in our cities overrun by drugs and homelessness, not to mention a crisis of mental health. The revolt is coming. They couldn't stop it on Twitter and won't stop it in America. They have not only ignored the majority, but they actively disdain them. No administration can survive that. It's just a matter of how long they can hold power 
and how bad it will get before they're booted out. A majority of Americans support protection of women and girls in sports and oppose gender-affirming care on minors. This past week, not a single House Democrat voted for H.R. 734, the Protection of Women and Girls Act, even though 70% of Americans support it. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a headline from The Hill. New poll finds majority of Americans against trans athletes in female sports. Although attitudes towards transgender individuals have shifted in recent years, a majority of those surveyed voiced hesitations regarding transgender women and girl athletes competing against cisgender peers. From the Washington Post and the University of Maryland, quote, nearly 70% of respondents said they believed transgender girls would have a competitive advantage over other girls, with 30% reporting neither group would have an advantage. However, a slim majority of those surveyed did say they were concerned with transgender athletes' mental health in the event they were not allowed to participate in youth sports, end quote. The majority of Americans aren't hateful or unaccepting of trans people. They don't want the majority of women, however, to have to go along with the lie that fully grown biological men do not have an unfair advantage. 70% is unequivocal. Yet Joe Biden has insisted he will veto H.R. 734 if it somehow passes the Senate, and here's why. Quote, It shall be a violation of subsection A for a recipient of federal financial assistance who operates, sponsors, or facilitates athletic programs or activities to permit a person whose sex is male to participate in an athletic program or activity that is designated for women or girls and that sex shall be recognized based solely on a person's reproductive biology and genetics at birth, end quote. The Democrats do not believe this is true. Moreover, they regard most Americans, the people they have been elected to serve, as ignorant bigots. They can't possibly know their children better than TikTok influencers or gender clinicians. Protect transgender athletes, says every Democrat, from Chuck Schumer to Nancy Pelosi to Joe Biden. On the right, they're the only ones saying protect female athletes from the madness of the left. And most Americans agree with them. Here is a video of Nancy Mace. Thank you. For years, the left has been telling us to follow the science. Well, today, Republicans are following the the science by protecting women and girls in sports. At the age of 14, I was molested by a friend of one of my coaches. At the age of 16, I was raped by a classmate in high school. Before a woman ever sets foot in a locker room, before she ever sets foot on the courts, before she ever first dives for her first swim meet, she's already in a vulnerable position. And we need to protect our women and girls in sports because of these vulnerabilities. And we have worked too damn hard to put up with the bullshit of the left that wants to take our achievements away from us. It took a hundred years after the women, uh, women's suffrage and women got the right to vote before South Carolina ever had its first female Republican ever elected to Congress. It took 154 years for the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina, to have its first ever woman to graduate from the Citadel. And the left wants to take these rights and achievements away from women and girls. I'm a girl mom also, my girl is an athlete. 
I cannot imagine her happening to be put in that position where there is a biological male in her locker room, or if she's trying to compete for a college scholarship that it gets taken away by a man who's much stronger and has much greater physical capabilities than she does. Uh, it's complete and total bullshit. It's cruel because of all of, I would be remiss if I didn't curse today, but because of all the glass ceilings that we have broken, you see many women history makers uh, here today, we need to protect our women and girls, and this is the first step. There's a lot of talk in the mainstream media about women's rights. Well, today, Republicans are leading the fight for women's rights everywhere for every girl across the country. Thank you. And now... Even though Barry Weiss, Jesse Single, Abigail Schreier, Megan Murphy, Katie Herzog, Megan Daum, and other prominent heterodox voices are speaking up on the issue, the mainstream media has mostly blacklisted anything critical of the president's pet cause. Here is a video of outspoken activist and podcaster Corinna Cohn, biological male, transgender female, co-host of the Heterodorks podcast on women's sports. Honorable representatives and committee members, my name is Corinna Cohn. I am a resident of Indianapolis and a constituent within House District 98, represented by Robin Shackelford. I am an independent, and I have voted for principled members of each party. I'm here to speak in support of HB 1041, which aims to strengthen the rights for girls and young women competing in sport. My testimony today is based on my personal opinion as a transsexual. That is, a person who was born male and used pharmaceuticals and plastic surgery to feminize my body so that I appear to be a woman. Despite having these procedures, my sex is male, and neither science nor medicine can change that. I began this process as a teenager, and although my testosterone levels have been in the female range for nearly 30 years, male puberty has endowed me with physical advantages such as height, bone structure, and increased lung capacity. For example, I stand at five foot 10 inches, which puts me in the 99th percentile for women's height. I am just an inch shorter than the female athletes who play in the WNBA. The average male height is five inches taller than the average females. Banning males from participating in women's and girls' sports would be justified on this basis alone. Everyone can use their own eyes to observe how these advantages play out in the real world. The most recent example is the University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas, a biological male who has broken numerous school and national records records women will be unlikely to ever match. If more males like Leah are permitted to compete against women, it will become common to see women marginalized in their own sport category. I have school-aged girls in my family. I know they often need support and encouragement to stick to competitive activities. When boys are allowed to compete with girls in their own sport, that is one more reason a girl has to talk herself out of participating. Opponents of this bill use confusing language like transgender girls to refer to boys who are being socially and medically treated to mimic members of the opposite sex. Just like these youth who are being characterized as trans kids, I also suffered gender identity disorder as a teenager. We should have all the sympathy that we can for these children and ensure they have appropriate treatment. But it is unfair to expect girls to cede their hard-won rights to make room for male students suffering from gender identity issues. It's astonishing that women's rights groups are not lined up here in support of HB 1041. In particular, the American Civil Liberties Union is strongly against HB 1041. The ACLU is supposed to protect women's rights, not undermine them. 
Instead, women and girls must rely on right-wing organizations to come up here and support their interests. It is absurd and unreal that liberal organizations are turning their backs on women's rights. Somebody needs to stand up for women and girls, and I feel compelled to do so since so few members of the transgender, transgender community have come forward to support them. It's ironic that people who identify as women will not risk defending women against attacks on their rights. Thank you. The right wants to take a hard stand while the Democrats want to take no stand. The majority is in the middle. They're concerned about trans kids and adults, but they're more concerned about why all of this is suddenly on the rise as a social contagion. Politeness is keeping them from asking about it. Most do not know the seriousness of the effects of gender-affirming care because of the media blackout. When they do finally find out, heads will roll. We know Biden is not all the way present, which has allowed a fanatical cult to infiltrate our government. Perhaps he has been kept in the dark on all of the young people who now regret having decided to take medication or have surgeries because there is no going back. They shouldn't have to blame themselves or take accountability. No, that's our job as parents. We're the ones who are supposed to protect them from themselves. Hysterectomies at the age of 20, bone loss, severe endometriosis, and worst of all, infertility. That should be a hard stop for any society. You can't sterilize children because they can't consent. They're not old enough. This is one of those unequivocal lines we don't cross as a species or a society, even if they threaten suicide. This is a Soylent Green is people or to serve man is a cookbook moment, where everyone realizes what has happened with the left in power. They've lost the plot with their good intentions, and they're doing real harm. Many young women have their breasts removed only to find they need them and want them back, but they can't have them back. They can never feel sexual pleasure through them, and they can never feed babies with them. They are on medication for life. The horrors they endure after the procedure throughout adulthood, they're stuck with. Here are two testimonials from detransitioners at a rally. I'm Prisha Mosley. I was found by the transgender community through the anorexia community. There is a pervasive dangerous online where communities form over the mental health crises of young people and adults. And adults are in these groups with children, egging each other on, encouraging each other not to eat, encouraging each other to go deeper when they cut. And transgender people come into these communities where people are sick and children are explaining their hurt. I was told, you aren't anorexic, you were born in the wrong body. This is your body fighting to be a boy. I remember posting online that um, I was growing hair all over my body because I was so underweight that I couldn't regulate my own body temperature. And adults told me that this was a sign that my body was fighting to be a boy. I was told to go find a letter of recommendation and that this would unlock all of my treatments and I could get whatever I needed to look different fast. On my GoFundMe that I set up, I only made about $50 on there trying to raise money for top surgery. I described wanting to feel safe and having my breasts no longer touched and nobody saw this as a red flag and nobody tried to stop. Um, except for my parents who were coerced and manipulated and baited with the idea of my suicide. 
my previous suicide attempt was used as proof that I hadn't been affirmed fast enough. It's impossible to change your gender. I tried. It won't happen. You're just going to be a version of yourself with the same hurt and the same trauma and the same pain in a body that doctors have taken from you. And you will be chained to the medical industry forever. And this is whether or not you detransition. Even if you don't detransition, as a transgender person, you have to make constant doctor's visits, constant surgeries and revisions, and you will always be chasing the dragon. That gender euphoria, it, it wears off. That they describe it, but it wears off, and that's why they go on to the next thing, and higher doses and more surgeries, because you are always chasing the dragon, chained to the medical industry, and it never stops. Now that I have detransitioned, I have been completely abandoned by all of my doctors. The nicest thing I've been told is, I don't want to treat you like a guinea pig. I don't know what's going to happen. I have severe vaginal atrophy, the likes of which I can no longer even use a tampon, and I'm afraid it's going to ruin my relationship with someone I really, really love. I feel like I'm already robbing him of a beautiful body, and I can't even perform right because of what this has taken from me as a child. Some males have their organs removed and regret it forever. Even if some don't, enough do that there should be a national conversation about this and a vote instead of one powerful lobby and government cramming it down a public that never saw it coming. Here is a video from a detransitioner. My penis is gone forever and I regret it. You've had the surgery. What does it feel like to miss your penis? I 100% feel like a, I was part of some cruel medical and social experiment. I wish somebody hugged me a few years back and be like, you know what, you can present feminine, you can wear heels, hair, whatever you want, but the sad reality, we don't have technology to make you an actual woman. But they kind of like didn't protect me from myself. <laughs> Here is a video of a biological male who has no way of winding back the clock to develop normally. Sexual function is no longer an option. I'm an almost 30-year-old man. This is what I look like. This is what I sound like as an almost 30-year-old man. This is what happens when you let people transition in adolescence before they've had a chance to grow up. Before they had a chance to even learn who they were. Not just let, but pressure. Pressure people to transition at these ages. Young, vulnerable people who are already so suggestible. And I feel like everyone is ignoring the pain because they are afraid that it threatens their choices and their narrative. If you want to transition in your 20s, you've had ch a chance to be a man or a woman, and this is what you want to do. Okay, that's one thing. But the active pressuring of people to transition so they can preserve their femininity, which is what happened with me, I was told that it's that if I allowed myself to age, that I would become masculine and that it would never be possible and that I would do it anyway, and that I would be a more masculine transgender person like them. And so I made the choices that I thought were right for me at the time. I do take accountability. I did it. I did it in secret from my parents. I take accountability for all of my choices. 
But when is the trans community going to take accountability for theirs? For leading me down this path. This is the face of an almost 30-year-old man. This is the voice of an almost 30-year-old man. Even if the number of those who regret it is only 8% or 5% or even 1%, that's enough. Who are these people running these clinics and running our country that allow this to continue? And how is it that no Democrat has the courage to stand up and speak out? Not one. Here is a clip of whistleblower Jamie Reed on what is happening to young people at gender clinics. It comes with a trigger warning, so prepare yourselves. And what does that do to you if you are a young person who's been given testosterone? As so, a young girl. Well, it depends. So if you young were on a Young female assigned at birth, sorry. Well, no. Even if you were given a blocker first... Okay. Mm -hmm. ...and we blocked you and then put you on a cross-sex hormone, we are potentially, basically causing you to be infertile for life. And testosterone, um, you know, the, the, the effects that kids reported that they wanted happened pretty quick. So we would permanently affect your voice and your voice would be dropped into a male pitch. Uh, you would see growth on your clitoris into what we would refer to as a micro penis. Um, we would start seeing atrophy and your vaginal canal would start to have atrophic features. Your, all of your body fat would start to move and shift around. Um, you would have facial hair growth. A lot of our patients would start to start losing the hair on the top of their head. Um, and then we would see mood changes. We would see patients who were, again, they were supposed to be getting better. Their mental health was supposed to be getting better. A lot of times it was not doing what we thought it was going to do. And if you were on feminizing hormones, you would start growing breast tissue. Your fat would move. Um, and again, if you were put on blockers first, it would render you potentially infertile for life. And now we also know for the kids, the, the boys, if we block you and put you on feminizing hormones, we also are potentially making you have sexual dysfunction for life. What, what, what do you mean by sexual dysfunction? So in the boys, blockers make it so that they never grow the penis or the testicles. If you never go through puberty and you never have those hormones affect that area, you are left with the same kind of penis size that you would have that kids have when they're little before they go through puberty. And then also we knew that the feminizing hormones would make it so you had a lot of erectile dysfunction, the testicles would shrink and atrophy, and we would be causing changes to that part of the body that were irreversible. I hate to state the obvious, but those are some pretty major changes for a young person to undergo and experience. And the fact that a young person could have that start happening to them after seeing a therapist twice and an endocrinologist once, to me, does not ethically line up. While it isn't just infertility, although that's bad enough, that's endgame for any species that hopes to survive the future, there are other reasons, including mental health, 
that other countries have mercifully chosen to put on the brakes, like Sweden. I don't believe the answer is to mock, shame, or bully trans people online, which I see too much of now. Not only is it cruel, but it confirms their persecution complex and only makes things worse. We have to reach them if we hope to save them before they go too far to turn back. What I know for sure, beyond any doubt, is that they should not be chopping off body parts and giving them medication that will make them infertile. This is non-negotiable in a healthy, sane society, and I will vote for any politician who will draw that hard line. The majority of Americans are worried about crime. The shooting of Ralph Yarrell was tragic. It should never have happened. Hopefully he will make a speedy recovery, though no doubt he'll bear the scars for life. But the media's obsession with the story has more to do with their constant need to prove that the majority of Americans are terrible people, racists in fact, who have to be absolved of their sins of whiteness, starting in elementary school. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a series of headlines from the New York Times, man accused of shooting Ralph Yarrell turns himself in, from CNN. Grandson of Ralph Yarrell's shooter says he was into weird, random, racist things. From the Washington Post, in the wake of Ralph Yarrell's shooting, black teens face fear and resignation. From the Washington Post, a white man was scared to death of Ralph Yarrell. For black boys, this isn't new. At least the New York Times covered a similar shooting of a 20-year-old white female who didn't survive. As more businesses leave the big cities, residents are left to deal with crime that can't be controlled in the wake of defund the police. Now cops know that they are the ones whose jobs and reputations will be on the line if they make a mistake. This is the mess the Democrats made that they aren't cleaning up. On the same day Jarl was shot, April 13th, upwards of 30 people were also shot, and all of them were killed, many of them young black men, shot by other black men, Here is a list of some of the deaths, though most do not mention their race or their names, from gunviolence.org. A 44-year-old male in Chicago. A 41-year-old male in Chicago, random shooting at a party. A 28-year-old male in Philadelphia, multiple gunshots to the head. A 19-year-old in Atlanta. A 20-year-old shot and killed a 30-year-old in Cleveland, Texas. Multiple people shot dead in Oklahoma City. Unidentified white male shot by a black male in Channel View, Texas. Navajo police shoot burglary suspect in Window Rock, Arizona. Two men in Virginia Beach, Virginia, 126 and 119, were shot and killed. 33-year-old Brenda Ochoa Guerrero found shot dead in her car in Fairfax County, Virginia. 17-year-old male killed Florence, South Carolina. 28-year-old Trevance L. Reed killed in Decatur, Illinois. Two 19-year-olds shot and killed, Darren Haley and Jaden Anderson, Louisville, Kentucky. 30-year-old Alante Alexander, Baltimore, Maryland. Brian Smith killed Shelby McIntyre, both white, domestic violence dispute, Gray, Kentucky. Brandon DeCarlos Williams shot in Glen Burnie, Maryland. 20-year-old suicide victim, Dearborn, Michigan. 57-year-old Russell McCrory shot by SWAT team after a five-hour standoff in Winona, Arizona. There is no doubt that the majority of Americans, no matter their skin color or economic status, are worried about crime in the big cities. But the only crime that matters are stories that confirm the narrative the Democrats want to push. As Bill Maher and Glenn Lowry explain, 
via black conservative perspective. Between the woke revolutionaries and their occasional riots and crime, which again is a result of far left criminal justice reform policies, that has caused more domestic terrorism than anything else in this country, okay? So it's a conversation that needs to be had. It is the number one conversation that we need to be having. But we're not having that conversation. And people like Bill Maher, who again is a classical liberal, I'm not sure how much conservative news he's consuming, okay? But he's one of these people that is grounded in reality a little bit, more so than the average Democrat or mainstream Democrat, uh, even though he hates Trump. But he's still somewhat grounded in reality. And he's going to talk about this issue of crime and why is it not being called out? And I want to comment on it because I think Bill here is missing a conservative perspective on this issue. So without further ado, let's get into it. Like Chicago, like most of the, the shootings are young black men killing other young black men. Is that not correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Much more than, than what the cops do. Why doesn't anybody talk about that? Why aren't there, uh, you know, a a hundred giant black celebrities who would have the respect of those people saying, what are you doing to yourselves? Why are you killing each other? This is no way to live. Yeah, uh, the reason why is because it's racist, Bill, right? And it's especially racist for a white liberal like yourself (laughs) to say something like that. Again, they're gonna be calling for Bill Maher's cancellation, okay? They're gonna go after Bill Maher. Blue City Breakdown. Street takeovers in Los Angeles have become routine. They don't even bother sending in the cops because they know that the media will put the cops on trial, not the criminals. This has been going on for a year, yet up until now, nothing has been done about it. Finally, the residents had no choice but to mobilize and protest because our government does not care about them. How bad did it have to get? And why wasn't this major news? Why aren't the media hammering the Democrats on this issue? Because it doesn't fit the narrative. They have to back Team Blue or suffer the consequences of angry Twitter elites. Here is a video of Compton residents flocking to City Hall to demand action. Fed up with street takeovers and now looting, neighbors in Compton give city leaders an earful tonight. After a weekend of chaos tonight, residents descended upon City Hall to say enough is enough. And the Sheriff's Department tells us they hear them. KCAL News reporter Leslie Marine is live in Compton with the very latest. Leslie? Pat Juan, I will tell you both the city and the sheriff's department both offered up solutions tonight, but it was one sister story that really captivated the entire room and put a spotlight on just how much devastation these street takeovers have done to this community. My brother was scheduled to get, get married December 16th for his 12th anniversary. And instead, I had to go pick up clothes for his funeral. Cynthia Enamorado didn't have to say much more to get Compton City leaders to listen to her Tuesday night. Spectating, recording, and posting him online, bumping music, and they made a joke out of my brother's passing. Her brother, 27-year-old Raymond Oliveras, was mowed down while crossing the street with his fiance just outside of Compton following a street takeover that started in the city on February 19th. He died. His fiance is still recovering. There has to be a stop to this. This is organized crime. There's promoters out there coordinating this. She got hugs and condolences from residents who are also demanding something more be done about these street takeovers. And you can't see the freshly painted crosswalk because it's completely black. 
and then you see shredded up tire tread. Start thinking a little bit about those who pay taxes, those who own properties in, in Compton, those who losing our lives here in Compton. You're gonna see enforcement all over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. The Sheriff's Department plans to add additional deputies from across the county and handle the street. Meanwhile, in San Francisco, a homeless woman, likely addicted to some form of drugs or alcohol, gave birth on the sidewalk in broad daylight. Both mother and baby are recovering at a nearby hospital, says Dave Rubin. I'm going to show you this video, and really, I, this is completely not joking and no sarcasm, blah, blah, blah. This is extremely, extremely disturbing. We debated whether we were going to show it to you, but I, I think this really gets to the essence of how backwards these people are. Progressives do not care about people. They pretend to. This is faux virtue. It's not real virtue. If you want to know the fallout of these policies where they let these crack addicts out on the street and they let the criminals out on the street and all of those things, you know what happens? Actually unimaginable things. This is video. It's how long is this? Maybe it's 20 seconds. What is it? Seven. It's seven seconds. So you can just, you can literally close your eyes if you want. But I think it's worth to just really drive the point home that they are not good people. This is video from San Francisco over the weekend. This is a crack addict homeless woman who gave birth on the street. Seven seconds, seven seconds. Guys, this is third world type stuff and it is going to continue to go in that direction. And that's what I'm talking about, about the blueprint and the separation. Do you want that? And do you want that nationalized through Democrat policies, Biden, Newsom, whoever it might be? Or do you want to separate from them, live in a place that is reflective of your values and defend that place? So I think you know what my answer is. According to the San Francisco Standard, quote, such incidences are rare, but not unheard of in San Francisco. In 2007, a woman gave birth to a baby boy on a San Francisco sidewalk, then left the child. Last year, a stillborn baby was found in a porta potty of a city-sanctioned homeless encampment. More than a dozen children are born to parents living on the streets each year, an expert told The Standard in the wake of that incident. Michael Schellenberger has been sounding the alarm for a while now. Whether or not the blue checks on Twitter or the Democrats want to pay attention, here is Michael Schellenberger speaking about how the radical left turned America's cities into slums. I, mean, I think it's hard for people that are not from here or who haven't spent any time on YouTube looking at videos to just understand how seriously uh, chaotic and deteriorating the situation has become. You've started to see some people in New York complain about scenes that have become very common and familiar in San Francisco, but also in Los Angeles, Seattle, Portland, which is that you have what Europeans actually call open drug scenes that Americans have euphemistically referred to as homeless encampments, which is really a misdescription of what is going on in these uh, situations. These are groups of drug users who have, because of their addiction, lost contact with friends and family. They no longer work. They live on the street because they're saving their money to support their addiction. This is um, people that are often, sometimes they're traumatized. Sometimes they just got addicted because of partying too hard. But the addiction crisis in the United States has grown enormously. 
I used to work for philanthropies supported by George Soros, the very well-known currency speculator and billionaire. He's now a major philanthropist in the United States and has been for almost 30 years. When I got done working on drug decriminalization issues or what we call harm reduction issues in the 1990s, in the year 2000, 17,000 people were dying in the United States from illicit drugs. This year, 100,000 people died from illicit drugs. Uh, Drug overdose and drug poisoning is the number one cause of death for people 18 to 45. We, you know, to put that 100,000 in perspective, that's three times more people than die in car accidents. That's five times more people than are killed by homicides. So the drug crisis is really, it should be like the number one issue in some ways, or at least it should be a tier one issue, but it's been like a tier three issue for reasons we can talk about. But really what's at the heart of what we call our homeless problem, but to some extent our crime problem is driven by drug addiction and drug abuse. At what point do voters wake up and realize what has happened to this country at the hands of the Democrats and a media that lies to them about it? The man in the arena. America seems to weave back and forth between liberalism and conservatism. As Barack Obama's third term, the Biden administration had nowhere to go but farther left at a time when the pendulum wanted to swing right. Now we desperately need conservatism, the Lincolns, the Teddy Roosevelts, the Eisenhowers, to bring back structure, our foundational principles, and common sense. Joe Biden is not a bad man. He's just been insulated in government most of his life. What does he know about the real world? And with no honest media or staffers to tell him the truth, he has no clue what has become of this country on his watch. The Democrats can't govern a majority they not only detest, but want to dismantle and rebuild, starting in elementary school. Our children are being taught to hate themselves, to hate the sex they're born with, to hate their skin color, that they're either oppressors or oppressed, to rely on and depend on Big Pharma for life to fix what ails them. The last thing they are being taught is resilience. They're being coddled, overprotected, and lied to about the world, that we need to make it safer for them to survive it. They need to be taught the opposite, that they can survive anything, that success is only achievable when we're willing to risk failure. How easy it is for the blue checks to sneer at Elon Musk when his rockets explode, or he stumbles while managing Twitter. They assume because he's the richest man in the world, as we navigate through another Gilded Age, that he's somehow corrupt. But he's a man in the arena who knows victory and knows defeat. Here is Teddy Roosevelt's speech about the man in the arena. The poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer. There are many men who feel a kind of twisted pride and cynicism. There are many who confine themselves to criticism of the way others do what they themselves dare not even attempt. There is no more unhealthy being, no man less worthy of respect, than he who either really holds or feigns to hold an attitude of sneering disbelief toward all that is great and lofty whether in achievement or in that noble effort which, even if it fails, comes to second achievement. 
It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. That kind of leadership meets this moment without a willingness to go up against the most powerful forces in this country, to fail at a time when the whole world is watching. There is no way to send the message to the young that they can survive as long as they are taught how to build things, families, businesses, communities, rocket ships, and social media apps. As Teddy Roosevelt said in his new nationalism speech, quote, Just in proportion as the average man and woman are honest, capable of sound judgment and high ideals, active in public affairs, but first of all, sound in their home life, and the father and mother of healthy children whom they bring up well, just so far and no farther, we may count our civilization a success. End quote. We're watching the last gasps of an information monopoly that has, for too long, neglected a country in crisis to push manufactured narratives. But there is hope. As Twitter goes, so goes the nation. Thank you for listening to my Substack, sashastone.substack.com. And remember, to thine own self be true. Jagged 
for a block with you, my friend. And it's a long way. Long way to Buffalo. It's a long way to Belfast City, too. Won't blow the hoist Cause this town They build off much more Than they can chew Here we get that on 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 Sing down on the Stacked up. Get the same way, supermarket in the rain. Everybody feels so determined. Not to have to feel anyone else's pain. No more making no commitments. themselves trying to get outside close doorways trying to get outside empty shells and for every cross-cut country corner every Hank Williams railroad train that cried All the change of badges and flags and emblems Every string on every brain and every eye Tables are completely covered. And the company's paid off all the wine. Got everything in the world you ever wanted. Right about now, right about now, your face should wear a smile. Get on up. That's the way it don't you help us. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
too high to see my point of 